from a sales tax reduction to a ban on gender-affirming health care. Welcome to July in South Dakota. From SDPB Radio, it's Wednesday, July 5th, and this is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, July 1st, is when a plethora of new laws take effect. Dakota political junkie Mike Card is with us to explain a few. We check in with the Sioux Falls business that keeps the Pride events going after the calendar turns by inviting people to climb higher. Eric Helland answers your watering questions in our home garden segment, plus her family endured heartbreak and loss and still managed to laugh. We talk with an author from Trent, South Dakota, about grief, addiction, and finding the right time to tell your story. That's coming later in the hour. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. Cattle markets are seeing record highs. That's good news for South Dakota's 16,000-plus cattle producers. But many are meeting this upswing with cautious optimism. Laura Rohde wanted to understand what's driving the market, so she visited with cattle producers from Forestburg, Gregory, and Kimball for SDPB. Take a listen. Auctioneer Eric Nowatney markets a group of way-up cows at Kimball Livestock Exchange during the June 13 auction. His employer, co-owner of the Livestock Exchange, Wade Christensen, explained the atmosphere created by markets that are up more than $400 a head over this time last year. It's been fun having sales as far as the consigners have been very pleased with what they're going home with and stuff. I mean, they're just not used to ever having that much money. Then on the other token, you're handling so much more money. I mean, we're handling way more money than we've ever handled before in history, too. The last time cattle markets saw prices almost this good was 2014. It's at an all-time high, the highest in history. We're about $20 higher than the highest level in 2014, so it's pretty exciting. It's it's also pretty uh, scary to think how good it is. They're pretty amazing. They're pretty amazing right at the moment. Charlie Zoss is a third-generation Forestburg cattle producer who recently sold yearling steers at Kimball Livestock Exchange for $500 per head over 2022. And this profit increase was on steers that were 25 pounds lighter. It it feels a little top-heavy to me right now, though. (laughs) It always does when it gets this high, though. You never know when the next low swing is coming. So you just worry about when they're going to pull the rug out from under you. Although Brett Kenzie doesn't have any cattle ready to market at the moment, the Gregory cattle producer and national president of RCAF has visited with plenty of cattle producers who have. You know, I was at Fort Pier last week at the sale, and, and it's a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of smiling faces, and I think a lot of people are going to get their balance sheets healed up some, you know, from the last few years. So, you know, that's that's pretty great. We need to take a moment and enjoy it and be thankful. I guess for me, we also need to look forward. We're going to sell cattle at good prices hopefully here, but we have to replace them, so we've got to we've got to be mindful that we 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 can't let our guard down in these good times. 
In recent years, many cattle producers have sold at break-even or at a loss more times than they have sold at profits. And the reason Kenzie, Zoss, and Christensen express cautious optimism when they talk about current cattle markets are the similarities to the 2014 markets. In 2014, low cattle numbers nationwide drove the rally. Wade Christensen said the same is true today. The demand for beef is excellent. The biggest thing is that we're so short of cattle right now in the United States. I mean, we're at an all-time low on cow numbers, so the numbers aren't there. According to National Agriculture Statistics data, nationwide cattle numbers are down 3% over 2022. And because it takes a significant amount of time to build herd numbers, each beef animal harvested takes about two to three years to raise. Back in 2014, cattle producers thought the markets would stick around for a while. But that is not what happened. Again, Brett Kenzie. When the market went in 2015, it went all at once. It caught a lot of us flat-footed because, you know, we had, many of us had bought into the idea that that was going to be the new normal. You know, those were just the new prices that cattle producers were going to get. Brett Kenzie raises cattle with his brother George. In 2015, the men lost more than $600 per head. Brett Kenzie blames beef imports for the sudden drop in markets eight years ago. It was the 2015 market dive that motivated him to become an advocate for cattle producers. In his role with RCAF, he advocates for mandatory country of origin labeling and other federal policies to enforce transparency and antitrust laws. I don't necessarily want to ban imports from countries that do have the same standards as us, but we have to differentiate them to allow ourselves to compete. Otherwise, that's invisible production that can be brought in pretty suddenly that will rock our markets substantially. Brett Kenzie and his brother will have yearling steers ready to sell this fall. He said he is eager to take advantage of the current markets, but will remain diligent in his advocacy efforts, hopeful that this time the good prices will stick around. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lura Rohde. You are listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I am your host, Lori Walsh. Well, during South Dakota's 2023 legislative session, 200 bills made it through every hurdle and vote to reach the governor's desk and the law books. Those 200 bills become law, became law last weekend. Mike Card is a political scientist and professor emeritus at the University of South Dakota in Vermilion, but he has traveled to SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls, so we can wade through just a few of these together. Dr. Card, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on your program. I sort of get a little giddy on July 1st because we have so much to talk about. Well, That's, and it's fiscal new year among it's other It's also things. fiscal new year. Yeah, exactly. All right. So a couple big ones we should start with. First, Medicaid expansion. Well, that was the one I was going to bring up and try to throw you a curveball, but you're oh. ahead of me and you were waiting for it, so you hit it out of the park. <laughs> uh, the voters uh, 
through initiated measure enacted Medicaid expansion. So about 52,000 additional South Dakotans will be qualified for uh, medical care, or at least the payment of medical care through the Medicaid expansion. These are for low-income individuals, and this is uh, an important thing because largely the provision of emergency care to individuals without insurance, and that includes most low-income individuals, costs us about $1,000 a piece, or costs the insurance companies about $1,000 for every insured person. So in many ways, this is a tremendous boon to the people of South Dakota who may get lower insurance rates because of the Medicaid expansion, but it also provides medical care for more individuals in our state. Uh, and the more we can treat medical issues early, the, the more likelihood that they will be able to live fulfilling, productive lives. It's a big deal. And you don't necessarily have to have children. So if there were rules and regulations that you've checked into this before, that has changed now. So it's time to check into it again if you have not already. It is. And, and it took a budgetary outlay uh, and, and hiring people to make this happen. But they're taking enrollments and people are covered as of July 1st. Now, the governor sort of famously said she didn't want this, but she would implement it at the will of the people, and it's the law, so we go forward. Have we seen, you know, the the appropriate investment from state government to sort of reach people and and do and to make sure that people have access to this? Well, we've certainly seen in other states, as and perhaps on other issues in our state, that uh, creation of administrative burdens upon it, both individuals and slow walking the implementation, but we're ready to go. I think the closest we would come in South Dakota was as the federal emergency declaration ended, those individuals who had been qualified under the uh, one of the many uh, stimulus bills to provide medical care through expanded Medicaid ended. The individuals were dropped off of Medicaid in South Dakota's roles and had to re-enroll. But that was a common practice among many states that, that have yeah. similar political cultures as South Dakota. All right. Let's talk about the reduction in the general sales tax because that was really uh, the top story coming out of the state legislature this year. It was, and, oh. and it was one that the governor said on her, I believe, September 29th, the only debate in which she engaged with the other two gubernatorial candidates affiliated with political parties, that this was her primary uh, objective for the session. And at least during the last week, she worked hard to try to get this passed, but it was also clear that the caucuses in the House and the Senate had decided that they would rather choose other options. One of those options was a reduction in the overall sales tax, and another one was to try to reduce the property taxes that people paid. Uh, there's been a claim that's somewhat questionable that it was the largest tax cut in history. It's certainly the largest state tax cut in history. The property tax reduction of 30% over two legislative sessions in the 1990s probably reduced people's taxes by a larger amount. But the state had to backfill what the as part at least part of what the school districts were missing in property taxes, as well as the municipalities and the counties had to struggle, and every other entity that uh, sends their tax bill to the county commissioners who then apply it to our taxes payable twice a year. 
No. So the governor wanted the food tax reduction or elimination. The lawmakers wanted the general tax reduction. Um, now there's petitions trying to get food tax on the ballot, and this general sales tax reduction is not permanent. It is not permanent. It has what we call a sunset clause, which means it goes out of business. It literally <laughs> becomes not law in 2017. The other issue oh, You that said 2017. I did say 2017. How about 2027? Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. The, uh, the other issue that we've got going is during session, it was very clear with other expenditures that we were making that I'm sure we'll talk about later, perhaps the biggest of which is building new prisons. Mm -hmm. But uh, with these other expenditures, there was money to do one of these and not two. And so if the initiated measure succeeds, perhaps what will happen is is the, uh, the sunset will s set sooner mm -hmm. than 2027 or that uh, the voters may reject the initiated measure and the initiated constitutional amendment to... Uh, to take care of the food tax. Thank yeah. you. So we're going to get... I guess the whole thing is all these sort of intersect in our minds means we're really not... We're going to get a very good look at what voters really feel when they go to the ballot box if this gets on the ballot which it's not yet. I mean, it's still getting signatures. It's still getting signatures. So if that continues to go forward, we're going to know what the people want. In other words, this isn't the last time we're talking about sales tax reduction in a variety of ways the, in South Dakota. That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a sense, this is an issue why the single measure for both bills in the legislature and initiated measures is so important is there's a single issue. You voted up yes or no. Mm -hmm. This gets more complicated because the voters have to think, if we're going to uh, reduce the food tax, that means that the sales tax will likely go up as the legislature won't have the resources given current projections. Right. Can the voters reduce the tax? Can the voters spend money? Can the voters make a decision at the ballot? Because when we went through IM22, which had democracy credits and it was about ethics and, and elections, lawmakers took that apart and said, you know, the voters can't decide to do something that we can't pay for. And we were having a lot of those conversations now. So what happens, I mean, we're way ahead on the hypothetical, so we, maybe we we'll talk about that in the yeah. future. But Well, I, I think the other part is to remember that the, the, the law was declared unconstitutional and unenforceable because of particular measures dealing with unelected individuals having control over elected individuals, which was found to be unconstitutional by a state court judge and likely would have been found unconstitutional had it gone to the South Dakota Supreme Court. Now, what the legislature did was take apart most of the rest of the uh, initiated Measure 22 and put in its place the four retired judge panel that would then oh. do the adjudication over claims of wrongdoing. Right. And it's not clear that the public is completely satisfied with that uh, as they were to refer for prosecution, and they didn't do that. They referred it to a local prosecutor to determine if there was evidence to prosecute. Mm. 
All right. If you don't know what we're talking about now, you're really lost. <laughs> and if you've been we've, a close student of South Dakota politics, you're like, oh, I remember that. And that connects with that. So let's move on <laughs> because we'll have plenty of time to talk about in the future. But right now, how are people going to see that tax reduction? Well, it'll it'll be a relatively small tax reduction. Yeah. If you spend $100, it's probably $0.30 cents, uh, on, on, on your whatever you purchase. So you may not even notice that it was a, a, a right. fairly large tax bill across all purchases in South Dakota and those uh, individuals who file their use tax for purchases made elsewhere but don't claim the sales tax. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to have a small impact. And politically, I mean, you almost have to be happy with our legislature because we're not going to notice it individually on each transaction where if you wanted re-election, you'd want something you could say, look at what I did for you. And you see it every time you make a purchase or in the case of the property tax reduction, the twice a year big checks that we write uh, for that. Yeah. All right. Gender affirming care ban. This is becoming news as um, other states grapple with this same issue and are unsuccessful. What, uh, What did we ban? And... Is it legal? What are we seeing as far as what's happening in other states? Well, uh, let me try to tackle the part of what what we are banning, and that is is uh, treating minors as opposed to adults uh, with puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and surgery as a treatment for a, a medical condition called gender dysphoria. It's distress caused by a sense of conflict between their sex assigned at birth and the person's gender identity. Uh, providers who are already treating uh, transgender individuals with puberty blockers have until December 31st. The uh, the challenge to this until law until is... Until December 31st to wean somebody off of medication. We, right. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. Yep. It's, I'm glad we're doing this together. <laughs> uh, and, and there are penalties for physicians and healthcare providers who might still engage in in these practices, including losing their medical license and the like. The challenge to these laws has been, at least in four states, Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, and Florida, uh, federal judges have been uh, striking these down, saying they violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment for treating people unequally because of of a gender-based condition. And I want to point out that These are states where, to be appointed as a federal judge, your senators could put a hold, senators from the state is the custom, could put a hold on these judges. So these aren't just uh, people who might be favoring this. These are issues that are going to be decided on the constitutionality of of the provision based on Supreme Court precedent. And it seems that in all four of these states, these bans have not held up. At the same time, there are uh, working groups of uh, medical doctors and doctors of osteopathy and psychologists and and other specialties within this that are trying to uh, develop what the standard of care would be and should be. Mm -hmm. The legislature has spoken. Otherwise, it would be the board of medical and osteopathic examiners that would determine what the standard of care would be. But they're trying to to deal with those issues. All right. Let's uh, talk about prisons. And, you know, we have time for one more topic. You think it should be 
what we're building and how much it costs? <laughs> well, it it's tied to a lot of things. You know, yeah. it's just like people are complicated. So are making policy for the state. So uh, along with building prisons, because I, I was fortunate to be able to tour the South Dakota State Penitentiary last Thursday with the mm-hmm. class I was teaching, and it's crowded. And and the, the wards that are the most crowded are the ones dealing with the most severe of, uh, offenders, in my estimation. The statistics could be used to verify or c- contradict that, but mm-hmm. it's a crowded place. And, and it's old in many parts that it... It requires more staff that if we had a modern design for uh, a facility to incarcerate people who need to be kept apart from the public for a period of time uh, to rehabilitate themselves and prepare for uh, a more productive life than the one they lived before, this this is going to be a real challenge. At, at this same time, it costs a lot of money, but most of this money has been set aside during the, the years when we had lots of federal money flowing through the state. And so our legislature decided that they were going to tighten up on parole this year, meaning that for violent offenders, you would serve your, your complete sentence. For a number of other serious offenders, you would complete 85%. And the presumption of parole is no longer an automatic one. It will go through the parole board and they will be somewhat more limited than they had been in the past because of these new statutes. That's likely to increase our prison population even more, probably exacerbating the need or making greater the need for more prison space. We're building a new women's prison in Rapid City, and somewhere here in the southeast corner of the state, we're building a prison for men. Hmm. With the population increases, then just statistically, also you need more jail cells and... And unfortunately, prison cells. Well, and if we're going to not just turn people out, we need to give people job-seeking skills, uh, a basic general education through a general education exam, a GED, as well as uh, perhaps actual job skills so that they Mm. could compete in the market and won't have to turn to a life of crime. Mike Card, Professor Emeritus from uh, the University of South Dakota and one of our Dearest Dakota Political Junkies, thank you so much for this update. We appreciate it. Well, uh, thank you for having me. We'll talk to you next time. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, Pride Month wrapped up last week, which means many businesses ended their Pride events and stowed away their flags for next year. But for some businesses, Pride extends all year long. Sam Bohannon is an assistant manager at one such business. Frontier Climbing and Fitness in Sioux Falls holds a Climb with Pride night on the first Tuesday of every month, and he is with me now in the Sioux Falls studios to talk about it. Sam, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So this is indoor climbing. Tell me a little bit about the facility itself. Yeah, so Frontier Climbing and Fitness, we have um, a very big climbing gym in it. Uh, Our lead wall goes up to 45 feet high. We have top rope with a lot of auto blades. That way, if people are by themselves, they can climb. And then we also have bouldering walls that go up to about 14 feet high. Uh, And bouldering, uh, you don't have really any of the equipment. Um, You just have a pad underneath you that uh, catches you when you fall. When you fall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you're going to fall when you're bouldering a little Mm -hmm. bit. That's part of the, yeah, you have to be ready for that. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how you got started 
climbing and bouldering and like oh, what's your personal story here? I started climbing uh, my senior year of college. Um, I had an internship at the aquarium in town, uh, Great Lakes uh, Aquarium in Duluth, Minnesota. And the dive safety officer there, I really befriended because I did a lot of scuba diving. Um, and I was hanging out with him a lot. And he was like, you know, I bet you would like this. And so he brought me over to Vertical Endeavors, which is a gym in Duluth. I was just like right across a bridge. Uh, and I tried it one time and I was just absolutely hooked and I just couldn't stop climbing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about climbing in an urban area, because when most people hear us talking climbing, they're thinking the Black Hills, mm -hmm. maybe Palisades, but mostly the Black Hills. And here it is in a, in a city. What, what draws certain people into indoor climbing in an urban area versus, you know, the great outdoor adventure? The risk of entry or like the barrier to entry for indoor climbing is a lot lower. Uh, you can kind of just show up when it's your first time. You don't need like 14 quick draws, uh, a 70 meter rope, and another person that knows exactly what they're doing to go up this climb. Um, you don't need like seven foot crash pads or whatever that you yeah. lug around all over the place um, from boulder to boulder. You really just need to show up and just sort of be ready to try. Uh, so it's very, very nice to just be like, oh, I'm going to go climb. I'm going to go like three minutes from my house instead of, instead of driving five hours to the Black Hills yeah. for some really, really good climbing. Talking about obstacles, I want to get back to this climb with pride mm -hmm. idea of having a day per month where people are invited in to climb from all walks of life, is that somehow, you know, eliminating an obstacle for queer people who might not feel welcome in a space? I think it is definitely eliminating an obstacle because as a queer person, especially in a state that leans so conservative as South Dakota, whenever you go a lot of places, in the back of your mind, it's always, am I going to be safe here? Are they going to accept me here? Uh, and Climb with the Pride really is about removing that barrier and getting people in to try it. Are people showing up and having, there's also a social connection too then, right? They are, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So that's also the really big part of Climate Pride is getting people to have these connections so that way um, they have more people to talk to. Um, a bigger friend base when you're queer is never bad because you always can have someone to vent to about something. Um, it really helps build a strong community outside of just going to bars and stuff like that, where a lot of queer kids, if they're under 21, they can't go in there. Um, so it really is a good like outlet for people to show up and just be themselves. And a lot of people are showing up for it, too. Feel supported. Mm -hmm. And some people may have very specific challenges with feeling confident in their body and mm -hmm. climbing can help, I'm guessing. Oh, it definitely Give you the helps. confidence and um, the things that your body can do that you didn't know that it, that it can do when you accomplish a goal, for example. Yeah, that yeah. was definitely the case for me. I had a very negative self-image before I started climbing and uh, climbing helped it a lot. Um, I started going to the gym for it. I saw a picture of myself and I was like, wow, I actually really like the way that I look. And I actually just got, got back from Boundary Waters trip up in northern Minnesota where I was paddling for like five days, sometimes like 18 miles a day. And it's like, I would not be able to do any of this if I did not climb regularly. Yeah. All right. It's a Climb with Pride at Frontier Climbing and Fitness in Sioux Falls. That's 
the first Tuesday of every month, and my guest has been Sam Bohannon. Thanks so much for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, give yourself a pat on the back if your yard and garden survived June's most blistering days. And take a deep breath as we look ahead to the heat of July and August. But there is good news. You can protect your plants with proper watering. And sometimes you can just let that go. Yeah. <laughs> So how and when should you water? Eric Helland is with us. He's president and owner of Landscape Garden Centers. Welcome back. Hey. Um, how are you? I am fine. Good. Sometimes I just let things... Well, sometimes you just let things go dormant. You can, from the yep. lo- From the grass yeah. standpoint. Yep. And is right it too soon for that? Um, no. Uh, it's probably too late because I mean, you can leave it, let things go for too long to where they just completely dry up too. Okay. So you can let things go dormant, but like with that little shot of rain, that kind of helps keep things somewhat viable. Yeah. Um, West River, green, uh, green, green. Isn't it just beautiful? beautiful I mean, take your photographs now. Enjoy it. It is gorgeous. I was West River all last week, came east, and it got browner and drier and, uh, you know, uh, crispier. Yeah, it's pretty isolated too, just around the Sioux Falls area. Okay. I was up north, and it's very, very green. Things are, yeah, crops are looking good and everything. So good. Yeah. So when we need to water, um, the things to remember is just uh, slow, slow watering, lots of it, and just let it. Um, so we do not want it to run off. Um, let it just trickle onto these bushes, these trees, and stuff like that, because that's what really needs it. Um, are the trees and the shrubs and the flowers and things like that. And just let it trickle and let it soak into the ground. And when you're doing that, those, uh, a lot of those things can survive for weeks if we're just kind of giving it a good long soaking. Okay. So my brother runs an irrigation company, so mm-hmm. I'm being very careful to make it seem like I'm telling everybody they should install sprinklers. Because mm-hmm. first of all, it's really hard to get someone out to your house right mm-hmm. now. They're busy. But so is a system the way to go? Or if you don't have a system and you just have a hose... Um, you know, a, a sprinkler system that, or, you know, yep. whatever you picked up yep. at the, you know, the tractor that moves across. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Do they still make those? Oh, yeah. Do they? Yeah, okay. they still work. All right. Um, <laughs> so there's lots of different things. So when you're talking about a lawn irrigation system, those yeah. are really convenient for lawns. And there's also zones that you can put on there, on your irrigation system, that are for planting beds. So that would be a, uh, a soaker or drip line. And those can be installed as part of your irrigation system. Uh, typically, most years, you wouldn't even run the irrigation system on the planted areas or the drip system because there's enough overspray from lawn watering. Now, if you don't have an irrigation system for your lawn, yeah, then the next best thing is going to be with the, with the hose. And the main things to do is you can grow a lawn and get a lawn established within a year Trees take a lot longer than that, so save your trees, save your shrubs, and save your perennials, because those are more important than your lawn, and so it's kind of prioritizing. Okay. Now, sprinklers, talking about sprinklers, is get ones that actually are throwing out big droplets, not ones that are, you know, putting a mist in the air, because that evaporates instantly almost, depending on the heat of the day. Right. All right, so let's talk about things that you have in containers. How often do you really need to be watering those versus your peonies that are in the ground versus your tree? Yeah, almost um, daily. Daily you for know, the containers, If you're full yeah. sun, yeah. And you can really watch it, watch them 
watch them wilt, mm -hmm. and then throw some water on them, see how fast they pop up. But once again, uh, thorough waterings, long and slow, and just get it to where the water's being soaked in and not running off. Yeah. All right, trees. Yeah. You. Yep, just really throw. You can't see that, though. You can't see. Right. Or can it, you? No, you, well, you can't, depending on the age of the tree, but you can see how they can Okay, put it this way. I could tell when a tree is yeah. kind of wilted from a distance, and you can kind of see. There's just different coloration. Mm -hmm. Trees will start to lose their leaves because they just need to get rid of some of the leaves because they can only handle so many, <clears throat> keep so many going. So they're constantly transpiring. Uh, and so what you want to do is long and slow, and then once you start to see some leaves drop, um, then you're, that's a for sure sign. So if they just turn yellow, kind of like fall, pre-fall, mm -hmm. then that's a good sign that, yeah, we're kind of a little bit stressed out here. Give me some water. Trees take up water out of the ground all the time, hundreds and hundreds of gallons. Really? So, mm -hmm. and they're also transpiring um, water out of the air all the time. So that's the one thing that you have to remember is that there's trees are constantly working um, going through the photosynthesis part, you know, all of those different processes that we learned in science. Um, so those are the things just to remember. You learned it in science. I forgot it. <laughs> I mean, well, I That's get, what I'm here for. I know what yeah. photosynthesis is, yeah. but don't ask me to explain okay. the details of how it works. So if you water your lawn, you're also watering your trees? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. That's a good way of putting it, yep. At what point do you let the lawn go dormant? Here, once we get into the, yeah. because I would do want to talk about water conservation and just the idea of dumping so many gallons of water on something that, you know, <clears> might be decorative. So even back up a little bit too is, okay, so we're used to watering our lawn and why do we water our lawn? Because we like nice green lawns and then we like to cut the lawn so they look like golf courses because <laughs> we can, right? Well, anything we cut always initiates more growth and when you need more growth, then it needs more water, it needs more food, right? More energy. So... Like what we've been doing at our house, and my daughter loves it, is we've been skipping mowing maybe mm -hmm. once, so you know, going once every two weeks to mow because there's just all we're doing is it's requiring more water when we cut something. So just change some of our habits yeah. rather than mowing every single week. Maybe it's every other week. Still use your irrigation system like you would. And then uh, mow higher also. That's a big one is mowing at four or five inches high because that shades itself which keeps that ground cool, which then uses up less water. All right. Where are we at on things like um, the uh, emerald ash borer and sort of tree health in the city of Sioux Falls? Are yep. we, so treatment on, is Are we on top on. of that? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think Sioux Falls is doing a really good job of treating everything. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done a really good job of the campaign um, uh, right when it came out, and trees right now are being treated between now and Labor Day. And then those, that is the time period when you're not supposed to be um, cutting any ash trees down or you have to get a special permit. Okay. But most likely you're going to be waiting until after Labor Day because that's when the bug is inactive. That's ages away. Yes. People keep telling days. me summer is almost half or summer is more than half over. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. But yeah. we got a lot of summer left. Yes, we do. I'm not going to yeah. start mourning the yeah. loss of summer yet, yet nope. when it's nope. July 5th. <laughs> that's right. Don't do that. We got plenty of time. Right. In the sun still. Yes. And but enjoy this nice, cool week that we have. Yes. This is where things are really going to kind of pick back up and kind of recover. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah we had a little adventure in our backyard um, because my tortoise escaped. Yeah. <laughs> 
He went a little walkabout in the neighborhood. I have no idea how he got out of the backyard. I can't find a place where he dug under the fence. He was gone for hours. Hmm. I looked in every nook and cranny of my yard. Return to sender. And then I went out in my front yard, and he was strolling up the driveway. There you go. Saying hi to me. Yeah. Yep. He'd been gone, gone, gone. Been shopping. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear to you, because I know you'll appreciate this, I kind of was delighted to see him, and I made that happy noise, you know, Uh oh, there you are, and he perked up and started. Moved a little bit faster. Yeah. He was Mm -hmm. running into my arms. Yes. (laughs) Can only imagine what that looks like. He was kind of cute. Slow motion. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I think, I think he knew he was yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. So if you see a tortoise over on the east side of town, yep. uh, let me know because apparently he has uh, mastered new escape technology. Yeah. Maybe just put something on his shell. Return to Lori. <laughs> With my phone. Fingernail polish. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. I don't know. There's probably some way you can mark a tortoise. Yeah. Chip it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Eric <laughs> Helland, uh, you can always send him a question at in the moment at sdpb.org. You can find all the gardening and growing segments on our website. You can stop by Landscape Garden Centers and uh, ask the staff there for lots of great advice or stop by your local gardening center. Um, I'm all about going to your local shop and asking people that's right. your stupid questions because that's what I do. <laughs> that's what we're there for. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. <laughs> Joining me now in the studio, our next guest is from Trent, South Dakota, and her family was faced with tragedy when she was just old enough to begin remembering significant events and how they made her feel. Delane Shea's father accidentally backed over his son with a truck, killing the boy instantly. It was a tragedy that shook the small town, but it was not a tragedy in isolation. The family would go on to face grief, grief, hardship, addiction, mental illness, multiple losses. And those losses piled up in Delane's mind and in her body, overwhelming her ability to cope at times. But they did not overwhelm her faith, her ability to heal, or delightfully her sense of humor. She has written a memoir. It's called And Then We Laughed. She has become a grief instructor to help others. And she is with me here in the studio now, welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, I'm glad to be here. I feel like this book, um, after reading it, I know so much about your life that you were willing to share, but there was a time when you didn't even talk in your family, you know, publicly about what had happened to your brother because of the shame that your father felt. It was an accident. <laughs> but yet, for a family to go through, when did you decide that it was okay to start telling that story? That particular story about my brother's death, I had somehow made it 
inward decision that I would not talk about it until after my dad had died. Yeah. And so leave it to God, one week after dad died, I was asked to give my testimony at church. And I included that accident of how that was. And um, for 20 years, I was in a writer's group at my church, Our Savior's Lutheran, and a group of women, we would each bring, you know, a short writing and listen to each other. And I found so much healing in that is that I wrote funny pieces, Mm -hmm. and then I would write serious pieces, like about my brother's death. And to have my grief witnessed in that way was so powerful. But God put the title of my book on my heart about nine years ago. Yeah. And then we laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and this be the first time, I mean, humor and laughter um, is a theme throughout the book. But yes. one of the first big moments where you use that title and sort of help readers understand why you chose it was, you know, when people try to help you after the death of your brother, financially, you know, they might give you a memorial gift and your mom used it to buy a television so that you could sit down and watch funny shows together as yeah. a family. We went through this and then we left Yeah, at night. The power That's, of that Oh, the resonates. power of that. And my dad had such back then there were cartoons on. Uh, and dad had such a hearty laugh that it was very helpful. And it was... Um, You know, at first I was kind of ashamed that she used some of that money for a TV. And yet there was someone who gave her some grief about it. Mm. But I just look at how strong she was. Yeah. And as a kid, I was glad to have a TV. (laughs) Now, you're so little when this happens to Billy. Yeah. Um, But you remember that feeling of abandonment. Of fear of of losing your parents in a way into mm-hmm. their grief. Yeah. Um, how do you explain to other people? Because I remember things at that age too. I have yeah. a lot of really early childhood memories, and people always look at me skeptically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can't possibly remember that. You only remember the stories that people told you. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. I this and this is why I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle those like? tiny childhood memories because you were also processing as a child you felt abandoned because Billy uh, wasn't yeah. there. You didn't understand oh, yeah. what happened to him. Yeah. You just thought yeah. you'd been left behind. Yeah. I just wanted my Billy back. Yeah. And and my mom. And I'm sure my dad too, but mainly my mom. I was a mama's girl. Yeah. And um that emptiness where I would sit out in the front for years. My only memory was sitting in the dirt outside in front of the house, playing in the dirt. And then in a counseling session, when I was about 40, I was sitting there and all of a sudden a video started playing in front of my eyes. And I told the counselor, Dr. Shelley, and she said, stick with it, you're okay. I'm here, feel your feet on the floor. And it was just breathtaking that I saw 
what had happened that day. I saw me running after my mother, heard the words that I called, you know, called her, Mommy, Mommy, wait. And um, it was so powerful and also kind of scary. Yeah. Because I said, what, how do I handle this now? I was fortunate that I also had a friend who is a counselor, and I had gone to her for codependency treatment. And, but this just kind of, that episode in my counselor's office where I had the flashback mm-hmm. opened the doors for me for more healing. And healing can be very messy <laughs> and very hard mm. and sometimes just want to escape it. And I had tried uh, in high school, especially after an uncle died by suicide, I really turned to alcohol. And I thought that would really help me because I could have fun and I could laugh and I can feel, you know, funny. And and it just quickly, very quickly took me down uh, a sad path. And you say again and again in this book, as you talk about your faith, that that there was a hole you were trying to fill. Here it says on page 91, softball in cheerleading no longer filled me up like it had in my earlier youth. Even being up for homecoming queen, my senior year didn't matter. There was an emptiness and a loneliness inside me that I tried hard to fill. Now I know that is a space that only God can fill. For someone who's listening right now who does not see how God can fill this deep, pain and hole and of emptiness, what would you say to that person who said, Delaine, God can't fill this emptiness in my life? I would say, I know what you're talking about. I felt that way too, but it really is possible. And I will walk with you if I can, or I'll help find somebody that you can talk to and walk with because there's a saying, when you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going. And we have to go, I have to go through things, through the deaths, through, I had to, for my book, I had to go through all yeah. that past stuff. Yeah. And um, it, it was tough. It was really heart-wrenching, but I surrounded myself with people who would help me. And I was very fortunate. I had people from my church, women from my church, pastors. When we first got a female pastor years ago, I went to Julie. And she helped me tremendously. She said, you know, usually, you know, you peel back the layers of an onion. Well, your onion has knots in it. 
<laughs> and uh, so, you is know, she God, the one that you call when you're having a panic attack and, and Owen is trying to call people, yes. your husband at the time, um, and he's trying to call people and you finally get, is that the ju- same Julie? Yes, and, Pastor Julie. Yeah, and she's call. like, yeah, you've got this. You've been through this. Before. You've been through worse, I yeah. think she says. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, when? <laughs> and she said, when you were drinking. Yeah. And I was just like, I was snapped out of the panic I was in. And it was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense now. Well, this book is called And Then We Laughed. It is a memoir of hope and healing. My guest has been Delane Shea. We have just scratched the surface of this and our time is done, but I feel like we could have you back again to talk more about grief and sort of complicated medical, um, you know, situations, having autonomy in, in healthcare and much more. So thank you for so, uh, for stopping by today though. Thank you, Lori. That is our show for today. We hope that it served you on tomorrow's in the moment. Stop by the SDPB Sioux Falls studios for a live broadcast featuring fiddles and friends, Kenny Putnam, Tom Schaefer, Owen DeYoung, and a host of your favorite musicians will bring American roots music and original songs to our big studio space. We're at the corner of 4th and Phillips, right across from the Levitt. We'll be here at noon Central 11 Mountain, and we'll make some live radio. From all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lori Walsh. Thank you for listening.